Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Imagine being brand new in a sales role. It's your first day on the job. You sit at your desk and all you have is your phone, your computer, and a list of prospects to contact. How would you bring a new business and where would you start? My guest in this episode will reveal how to do this and more. She's a tech sales rep based here in Chicago, and she's made a name for herself in the industry by being an extremely diligent, skilled, and fearless prospector. She's not afraid to pick up the phone and reach out to prospects day after day to set new meetings and drive in new business. If you're looking to drive in new business from scratch using the phone, pay attention to this entire episode until the very end as my guest brings tons of value all throughout our conversation. Stay tuned. What if you knew exactly how to use cold email, LinkedIn, the phone, and other sales channels to get new meetings and customers for your B2B product or service? Morgan Williams is an enterprise sales rep that's obsessed with cold outreach. If you are sick and tired of fluff, theory, and general advice on how to sell to cold prospects from people who haven't sold anything in the past 20 years and instead want detailed, tactical, step-by-step instruction, this is the podcast for you. Each week, he'll interview salespeople, consultants, and entrepreneurs about actual outbound sales campaigns they've run with real numbers and results. Each conversation will be a deep dive into deconstructing a specific campaign's results, as well as the strategy behind it. You'll get the opportunity to peek behind the curtain and see what's actually working now in cold outreach. Welcome to Outbound Metrics. Alexine Mudawar is a major account executive at Displayer. Displayer is an all-in-one statistical analysis and reporting tool designed for survey data. Analyze, visualize, and share beautiful dashboards and interactive reports. Alexine, are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Awesome. So what do you sell at Displayer and what companies do you sell to? Yeah, so it's a a market research platform. The types of companies uh, range all over the place. So really any company that's dealing with survey data could use us. And what's really fun about it is I get to prospect into like mom and pop shops that are maybe like two employee consulting firms all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. So for me, it's really fun to kind of run the gamut of any type of company I want to prospect really. Awesome. So you're doing the full cycle sales. You're doing prospecting all the way up to, to close. Yep, that's me. <laughs> awesome. So I'm curious because data is like, I mean, t- it seems like this is the next thing for the next decade and beyond, right? You know, data is yeah. oil, that sort of thing. So I'm curious as to what are these companies, what do they look like? Who do they serve? Trying to get wrap my head around, right around that. Yeah, and that's what's really fun about this is these companies could use our software for all different types of things. Basically, what they're trying to do is take their data that they are aggregating from different things. It could be from like employee surveys, it could be from outside research that they're doing. And then a lot of them are trying to make that into some type of visualization that they can share out either internally, like say for board meetings or externally for people to be able to see their brand more. So that's what's really fun about it is we get to kind of maneuver between whatever somebody, some company wants to do. And what's happening constantly is companies are coming up with new ways to use the platform. So it's been really cool to have kind of new conversations and talk about ways that companies, you know, want to start leveraging Displayer. So TBD, it's still being determined every day. Awesome. So taking that raw data and using your offering to make it more meaningful for what they have to do in their businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And making it in a way that people can understand it too. Because I think to your point, like data, I do think is like a gold. There's so much that people are collecting on a day-to-day basis, but it's like, what do you do with that? And how do you repurpose that into a way that people can actually understand what it is that you're trying to explain? So our software really helps them understand trends with their data, like what's actually happening. It helps them analyze the data so that they can actually see findings that they might and conclusions that they might not have come to on their own. 
So it's kind of cool. It gets, it's a little nerdy, but it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So what does your day-to-day look like? Right now, so I started with the company just about four weeks ago. So I am brand new to the organization, newest on the team. So right now, heavy prospecting. So I am like in the weeds of prospecting on a day-to-day basis. A lot of what I'm doing too is also like cleaning up accounts too. So I have, you know, like a subset of accounts I'm working, but then within those, like sometimes, like a lot of contacts have, for instance, left the company or people have switched roles internally. So I'm doing a lot of like mapping within accounts to find the correct points of contact. And so sometimes I'm rehashing old deals. A lot of what I'm working is net new though. So just, you know, companies that maybe haven't heard of us, um, maybe companies that attended a webinar. So it's all over the place in terms of what types of companies I'm reaching out to you. But yeah, definitely a ton of prospecting and a ton of living in Salesforce right now, at least for the foreseeable future. Awesome. And what I really want to get to today is really diving into your process. You have a very excellent prospecting process that you use. And I really want to give people who may be listening, who maybe that's not their strong suit, just actual tactical steps they can follow. So let's kind of step into your shoes. And so you're new at the company and what are you first trying to assess when you come in you've gotten this book of accounts and you need to like just hit the ground running? Yeah. So it's funny because whenever you start with a new company, I think there's always this ideal customer profile that they've identified. What I like to do, not so much like verify that that's the correct ICP, but kind of come to my own conclusions about who the ICP is. So I like to look through the current book of business, who we're currently partnered with, what types of contacts are the ones that are assigned to those accounts, maybe talk to the CS team and get to know them a little bit better, understand what's going on. But that's really like step one before I do anything is like, who are we actually working with today? Where have we been successful? And what means did we take to get there? So like Salesforce is a goldmine because you can just look through activity history, which I do all the time. I like, you know, Salesforce creeper all the way. So (laughs) I love looking through like the old emails and trying to see even like what the initial email that caught uh, someone's attention was and like follow it back even that far. So I think that's where it gets really interesting. But I mean, that's like step one for me when I get to a company is like, who are we even working with today? And then with that, I think too, is obviously the product piece because with a lot of us that are working at tech companies, and you know this too, I mean, you can't just like jump in and understand the product typically day one, like there's a learning curve that goes along with anything. And for me, I didn't come from market research. So this is a new industry for me. So there's definitely like a subset of time that's spent just educating myself, not only on our product, but also the industry as a whole. And like, what are the trends of this industry? What does this look like? What did the past look like? And just so I kind of have a gauge and understand where things are going. What are typical softwares that are on the market? So like doing a lot of studying of like battle cards, for instance, and understanding like who else is out there and what they specialize in and what we specialize in. So a lot of studying up front for sure. Quick question on your process. During your sales process, are you working with an engineer, partnering up with them when you're on sales calls or are you solo? Yes. We have a really unique model. It was part of the reason I wanted to come over to this company. We kind of have like a customer success sales engineer hybrid who we work with. So I think that's really cool because you have someone that understands the process from once that client's on board, whereas a lot of solutions engineers are great that I've worked with, but they're usually the same as me where they kind of take their foot off the gas once the client is in the door with the company. Whereas these folks are actually it really behooves them to understand what this client wants, what they're looking for, help them figure this out because this will be something that they're helping with down the road too. So it's actually super unique. I haven't worked on a model like this before. So basically we tag team the demo, but outside of that, I mean, it's basically me from start to finish. Awesome. And so when you're doing this like assessment and really digging into this past history of these accounts, how do you stay organized through doing this? So I am a little bit old school in that I only use Salesforce. So I'm like a little obnoxious and that it's hard to get me onto like automation software, like uh, any of the automated cadences. I'm pretty strict about like keeping my own task management system and I'm pretty meticulous with it too, but it's what's worked with for me for the past seven years. So for me staying organized, a lot of times what I'll do, especially if it's an account with a lot of history is I'll make myself a little cheat sheet. So I always keep an open off on every single either lead, contact, or account that I'm working. So there are certain accounts where maybe I have like three open tasks on them because I'm working three different points of contact. But my cheat sheet is basically like a couple lines in there that says like previously demoed, 
our software. We're really interested in data visualization at the time. We're using X, Y, and Z tools when we initially spoke to them. So it gives me kind of a jumping off point if, I'm, if I were to catch them on the phone, for instance, where I can say, hey, I know when we spoke to you a little while back, you were using X, Y, and Z. Is that still the case? Has that shifted at all since we last spoke? But it gives me a level of rapport going into that. So I think the task management piece is huge in Salesforce. And that's where I keep, I would say, most of my attention as far as like organization. The other thing I do with, especially with like more high priority follow-ups, things that are really important, usually I'll keep a calendar invite for like, I'll usually push it for like 6 or 7 a.m. on my calendar. But it's basically like my non-negotiables for the day of like places that I want, I really need to reach out to or like ones that I'm waiting to schedule a demo with. So I kind of use my calendar as a task management system too. But Really, it's just Salesforce and my calendar is everything. That's a sales manager's dream. All the in, You keep all your info in Salesforce. Which is so <laughs> weird because I'll tell you this. When I was interviewing, it was funny because some of the managers loved it and they wanted me to like live in Salesforce. Some managers don't, though. They wanted you to live in like uh, mm. automation tools and they didn't like that I kept a physical like kind of task management system within Salesforce. I had interesting feedback more often mm. than not that they were really excited about that I would like geek out on the Salesforce stuff but there were a few who actually like didn't really like that so. Interesting. Teach their own. <laughs> Absolutely and then you mentioned you educate yourself immerse yourself not just what's happening in the company on the product but also the industry. What are some things you do to you know stay efficient while doing that? Yeah, so I think for me, I'm a LinkedIn super user. Um, you probably see me uh, on there nonstop. So oh, yeah. I like to leverage uh, LinkedIn as much as humanly possible. So I'll look for like any news. Obviously, I can use SalesNav too and like track any kind of like news updates or things that are going on with the company. I can also do that with competitors as well and see what's kind of going on with them. Did they get recent funding? Are there any mergers happening? I feel like I probably use LinkedIn more than anything. Sometimes, especially for like, the really big companies like these fortune 100 to fortune 500 accounts like those ones i'll probably do like google searches before i reach out to but it takes me longer sometimes to break into those too because if i'm going yeah. for higher points of contact obviously it's me versus every salesperson on earth going after them so mm -hmm. yeah but i definitely leverage linkedin more than anything how do you prioritize who to reach out to like past past the point where you're like, okay, I've got, there's some low hanging fruit here I see in Salesforce, mm -hmm. you know, what do you look at after that? So the, usually the subject of my tasks is a way that I kind of keep an eye on everything. So my task typically will, if it's like open op, then I know automatically like those are like super high priority to your point, like low hanging fruit, or like if I'm like close this today, obviously that's one I'm going to be mm -hmm. following up with religiously. There are other ones too. Like for instance, we have Pardot baked in or I've used Pardot in the past. And so a lot of times I'll say like high Pardot score, depending on what kind of scoring system we use for leads. Like sometimes I'll actually put the score and say like, like at a past company, it went up to like a 200 scale. So I would put like 200 Pardot scale, like reach out ASAP. Or more so like things like that, little indicators to myself. The ones that are usually like, lower priority for me that sometimes I'm avoid a little bit are the ones where it's like call need to find new point of contact like usually those are like my least favorite because I know I have to like go in and actually like study the account and like remap it out so when I'm trying to uh, delay doing something those are usually the tasks that are at the bottom of the totem pole for sure gotcha and so you've got this you're organizing your accounts you're reaching out to you're kind of figuring out where you're going to put your energy What's the next step after that first step of your prospecting process? So like after I have my task management, so typically I have like a certain number of touches. Like for instance, right now I'm starting in a new job. So my minimum daily that I'm, you know, for me that I'm trying to hit is like 40. Typically there's been days that I've hit like 70, 80. And then there's days that it's lower because I had like multiple demos or I'm doing like learning blocks, different things like that. I think that's probably like kind of step two there. Gotcha. So you're figuring out, okay, here's the amount of activity I want to do per day. Yeah. Yeah. So like deciding how many touches I want to do and then deciding like how I want to break that out. I'm a little bit different DNA in the sense that I like leading with phones. There's mm -hmm. a number of different reasons that go into that. I can like kind of go into those too, sure. but my first choice would be to go through phone. Second choice would be to go through social. And then email is actually my least favorite mode of communication because it's really hard to get tone across and it's harder to kind of like 
keep people's attention, I think, in email. When you're on LinkedIn, they can see your face, at least with the message. So I feel like that conveys something else. And then phone, I like the best because I think you can, you know, they say like, I don't know what it is, 95% of communication is tone. Yeah. So I think if you can just like have some good tonality going into calls that you can really start conversations off really well and you can get a lot more information like when you're actually on the phone with someone and you have a lot, for me, I have a lot higher likelihood of scheduling a demo if I catch someone live on the phone than I do via email, but every day. So. Sure, absolutely. What is crazy about tonality is that when I started to understand that too, it blew my mind how important that was. Um, yeah. And speaking to people on the phone, it's crazy, but it doesn't get talked about enough. It's interesting. And in like sales trainings, I don't hear a lot of talk about tonality, but it's extremely important. Yeah. Um, There's like a quick trick too that I learned my like first job in sales. They taught me this. Um, and if I was like year one to three in sales, I would probably still do this is just to keep like a compact, like a pocket mirror. My VP at the time, he's like, go down to CVS and like buy yourself like a pocket mirror and put it on your desk while you're calling. So you can kind of like mm. try to smile and dial. And it sounds really tacky, but that's where that phrase came from was because that's how people learned to cold call back in the day was you had to do it that way. So I do think like, even though I don't really keep like a mirror on my desk necessarily, like I do sometimes like catch a reflection of myself, like in my computer or something when I'm on a call. And if like, I have a look on my face, like I can tell sometimes if I'm in a funk, like that these calls aren't necessarily going to go how I want them to do. Yeah. So there's, a hundred percent truth to the tonality thing. And I think there's some really easy, like the compact mirror. I think that's just such an easy tip for early on salespeople to help them get in front of that too. Absolutely. Is there anything else you use, especially like now a lot of people working from home. Is there anything you use to keep you like efficient while you're doing these, you know, trying to get these calls in and these touches while you're at home? Yeah. I mean, this is my first time working remote. We're actually heading back to the office in the next two weeks here. So we have like a pretty, wow. we have like our whole sales team for the most part is based in Chicago and it's pretty like small group. So we'll be back in the office, but this is my first time being remote full time. For me, the one thing that's helped me a ton, which is not really sales related at all is I clear off everything. So I actually work on, I have kind of like a dining room table in my upstairs. So like I usually work off of that and then I clear everything off of it because what I noticed is if there's like anything around me when I'm cold calling, I get really distracted or it just like causes me to feel like internal chaos because I'm surrounded by chaos. So I feel like just having a clear space. I think also like one of the things that is really cool about the company that I ended up joining is that they actually do scheduled cold call blocks. So on Tuesdays oh, and cool. Thursdays, those are our cold call days and we'll do like two hour blocks. And then we kind of come back as a team and regroup and talk about it. And I thought that was just such a cool idea too, because that's what I wanted. I wanted to be in more of a hunting, a little bit more fast paced environment. And that was super important to me. And then the one other thing I do as far as like organization, not so much like physical space, but Tuesdays since my first year in sales seven years ago were my prospecting days. So Tuesdays, I don't like booking demos on Tuesdays. I don't like trainings on Tuesdays. I don't like even really team meetings on Tuesdays. Like Tuesdays have always been traditionally my really good prospecting day. And so I don't know if there's like, I think there's definitely a psychological component to it. I forget who, I think it was Kevin Dorsey that I was on with me. He was saying there was like some kind of data behind that too, that said Tuesdays was a good day. So I think that that's part of it too. Like that's definitely a day that I just dedicate to doing cold outreach. Yeah. It's best to be in a different frame of mind for that. And it's hard to get into that or get back into it after you've had a break doing something else. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, it's definitely great to run. Like it'd be great if you could like always have days where you prospect and then always have calls on certain days. Right. But of course, because of like people's schedules, you gotta, you know, yeah. sometimes take them where you can get them, but absolutely. I love that. So making sure your environment is clear inside and out, smile and dial tonality, <laughs> doing different time blocking to make sure you're engaged during that time. I want to get into what these, let's start with the phone. I want to get into the actual, what you're saying during the phone. So do you use like a framework that you have for cold calls? Do you just go straight off the dome? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So it's so interesting to me because cold calling and you know this too, like everybody is terrified of cold calling. Like yeah. it's like for everybody else, the worst part of any job is cold calling. 
for me, like whenever I've moved to new companies, cold calling is like the one thing that doesn't change. Like my pitch changes and certain aspects change, but like cold calling is actually the most comfortable part of the job for me because it's the one thing for me that I'm used to and it's natural for me. So with cold calling, like I don't even know that I have a framework so much as a comfort level that I think helps me that I didn't used to have. Like my first few years in sales, I definitely struggled on cold calls and I was like, spastic and like all over the place and like stressed out and it like you could hear that and admit it over calls sometimes whereas now I have just like a different comfort level when I'm calling so I think not so much a framework but almost like a mindset and just this approach that's it's just a different feel for me than it used to be but then as far as when I'm actually calling especially when I'm in a new job what doesn't work well for me is having like a really templated out script that I'm supposed to read like I sound like a robot and it comes off very disingenuous and like the person doesn't like it. I don't like it. So what I do like to do, especially with new jobs is create a couple of resources. One is like basically my cheat sheet of who are our current clients and based on what industry. And so that way I know if I'm calling, you know, whatever company, PepsiCo, then I can list off, you know, like Coca-Cola, this company, you know, and I have kind yeah. of a reference point. So like, I like having that just a quick sheet to a cheat sheet there. And then the other thing I like to do is just have like a couple key phrases. And a lot of times I keep our company website up too, especially this first few months, like there are areas that I may not understand. And what I think is really cool about cold calling is yes, you need to be knowledgeable about your company and what it is that you do. But at the same time, like the whole mission of the cold call is to get them to accept a demo to move forward in our sales cycle. So what I can do a lot of times is if they do ask like a really deep dive question or something that I'm confused about, that's an easy lead in for me to get them on the demo. So I can easily say, you know what, like, I actually haven't had that question come up for me before. But I think that would be really cool to actually show you inside of the tool how we would handle that. So why don't we just schedule that time? We'll do this as a walkthrough. I like to give people an out as well. So I'll say like, you know, we want to present this to you. If it's not a fit, not an issue, we'll part ways. If it's good, then great, we'll move forward. But just want to at least give you a chance to see what the software looks like and touch and feel it yourself. And I think that kind of calms people down too. But those are kind of the main, main pieces I do, especially starting out in a new job. I think it's just giving yourself enough to get started and Mm -hmm. just start having conversations. Because what I've noticed happens is a lot of times people will start to ask you the same questions and then it becomes very second nature. And that's why I prefer to start cold calling when I start new jobs versus emailing. Because in emailing, if someone emails me a a really in-depth question, I can turn around and ask my manager to help me craft a response or I can do this. When I'm on the phone, I can't like say, please hold for 30 seconds while I go ask my manager and I'll come back to you with the script. Right. <laughs> like it's just, it's go time. So I actually really like that because it keeps me on my toes. And even if I don't know the answer, a lot of times what happens is if I get that question again, I'm not going to mess it up because I'm, you know, I had to learn my lesson the hard way. So right. I think there's some, you know, definitely psychology that goes into that. Yeah. Cold calling, you definitely get kicked in the teeth. When you do that, there's nowhere to hide, you know? There's nowhere to hide. It's just you and that other person on the phone. Yeah. Um, And part of the thing with, like, cold calling for me, too, I think, is, like, my first year when I was starting to learn to cold call, it felt so stressful. Like, it felt like every person I was calling on was, like, the president of the United States or, like, Kim Kardashian. Like, the reality (laughs) is we're calling on human beings, and some of them happen to have, like, C-level titles. But they are human beings at the end of the day. We, in fact, know more about our software than they know about it, most likely, unless they've been around a really long time on the market. So a lot of times we're reaching out. We do have enough information to arm ourselves with the conversation. We're just having a conversation with someone. And a lot of these people, like regardless, for instance, I used to call in a lot of CFOs. A lot of CFOs were salespeople at one point. So like those weren't those got to a point where I actually liked calling on CFOs because I knew they were going to be nicer when I cold called them because they had been there before. So I think just Mm -hmm. also kind of like setting your own expectations of like, Hey, I'm just talking to a person. This is not like a celebrity, you know, unless you work for like cameo, it's not like a celebrity you're calling on. So it's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And people respect it too. I mean, as much as people who cold call may get bashed publicly uh, for some (laughs) reason, I mean, it, people do respect it, especially if, you know, you're talking to someone who's done it before, because it's hard. It's hard to do that no matter what. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's okay. another reason for cold calls too. I mean, like selfishly, a lot of people are screenshotting stuff right now, and that scares me. Like yeah. the thought of being on someone's LinkedIn, like that's one of my recurring nightmares. So I think <laughs> yeah. that's another reason to get really comfortable with phones because we're in an era where people. Luckily, my target market hasn't been VP of sales, but if it was, I mean, I feel like every email I would have to like dump everything into it because I wouldn't want to be the one that gets screenshotted. So yeah. I think that's another reason to just get really comfortable with phones is not only just to get better and improve your conversation skills, but also, you know, it's a good way to safeguard yourself too. Yeah, for sure. I always think about when I see something like that, you know, it's like, well, what if the salespeople at, you know, your job stop selling? You know what I mean? Like it's something every company has to do and people have to do. Um, So I guess some people see it as a necessary evil. Okay, cool. So like, what's like a high level, like flow of like what a call would be like, or kind of what you look to do in the open and middle and close. Yeah. So typically, you know, the open is just like, hi, this is Alex being calling from display or whatever the company is, you know, does the name ring a bell? Like I usually like to start because half the time it does and half the time it doesn't. If they're like, no, um, no worries. Like I wasn't sure if that was the case. I know we were partner with thousands of companies across the globe. So a lot of times people are familiar with us, but here's some of the main reasons they use us. I usually will list off three of those. So I usually have like three things that I'm pulling from. And then typically I'll say like, you know, the reason I'm reaching out to you, I wanted to really get you in front of the technology in the coming week to two here. So I definitely understand I'm kind of calling you. I I like to acknowledge, like I'm calling you out of the blue. I understand that. But if you're open to it, I would welcome the opportunity to just take you through the platform. And then I give them that out of, you know, if you feel like it is a fit, great. If not, we can just part ways at that point. So is that something you're open to? And a lot of times like people are very, if I'm actually catching the right point of contact live, and they're open to engage in a conversation, a lot of times I feel like the response has been somewhat positive. And, you know, a lot of times too, there's questions that come with that, or a lot of times you start to get into the objections where people will say, you know, hey, we currently work with X, Y, and Z. So that's where, you know, some of that sales knowledge building block stuff comes in where I have to know, you know, actually we have it built in an integration with that company. So we have a ton of of clients that actually use them. So that's Mm -hmm. great news. Just kind of calming down some of those objections too is just part of the process too. And so I'm in that phase right now where I'm starting to really learn what our most common objections are and learning to overcome those. Uh, That's always a work in progress too. Awesome. Social. So LinkedIn, are you primarily on LinkedIn? Anything else using the prospect or pretty much all LinkedIn? Yeah, all LinkedIn. So I tried to use Twitter. I, I go like all in on LinkedIn. So I'm on there several hours a day. It's usually the first app I'm checking in the morning. It's the last app I'm checking at night, which I don't recommend. I don't think that's healthy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but yeah, so I'm on there all the time. I tried to use Twitter for a little bit and it was just too hard for me to manage to like professional, what I would consider a professional social media pages. Mm-hmm. So I've really dumped everything into LinkedIn. And then as far as like prospecting with social, I don't totally know the rules yet. I know some people go into, I think Instagram is super creepy. I know some people like go in there and they'll be like, I saw you went on vacation to California last week. Like that would freak me <laughs> out if I was getting that call. Like I would like probably call the police. But I think, so there's like aspects of social that I think are like, okay. And I know that's changing. Facebook is like, kind of 50 50 like i've heard people have success and i know there's more like professional groups kind of launching on there so i don't know yet if like facebook is cool but yes linkedin for me is the most comfortable medium to be on and that's the one where i feel like it's okay to creep on there and people aren't surprised when you bring up certain things and same with twitter you can still access twitter if you don't have an account so i can look people up it's just like limits sometimes what all i can see but i can still see like some of their tweets and stuff so Sure. What does your like approach on LinkedIn look like? I mean, a lot of times I like to look through and this has changed over time because it used to be that I just looked at their profile and I would kind of look for anything we have in common. And I still do that. But now I take it a step deeper where I'm also looking at their activity history, because what I found is you can kind of get a snapshot of people's personality, especially if they're people that comment on different things. You can kind of get an idea of like Mm. their pacing and their like attitude and like what they're into, what they're not into. If we follow someone that's, if we have someone in common, what kind of groups they follow. So I think for me, I'm trying to really figure out, you know, do we have something in common? Even if we don't, what kind of caught my eye about their background? And then a lot of times when I'm doing social outreach, um, one of the tricks that I use 
is if I'm not connected with someone, I'll title my message something from inside of their profile. So for instance, I used to sell talent acquisition software. And one of the guys that I was prospecting, his profile says, I'm trying to fight the war on talent. So in his email, I put war on talent and that was the title and I got responses immediately. So I feel like those kind of little tips and tricks work really well with social too. It's just using kind of their words, not against them, but to guide them back to you. Absolutely. You're using this information in, so you're reaching out on LinkedIn or using this in email? could be both. So if we're not connected, then I can put it in like the subject, like the in-mail. Um, if we are connected, then obviously I don't need like a title for that message. So typically I'll try to, before I even message, a lot of times what I'll do if I'm just sticking to LinkedIn, I will actually like go through and start to like, like a couple things or comment on things. I try not to get like too creepy with it because I think, you know, they can smell a salesperson coming and this is where we get into like, if all of a sudden I liked like 20 of this person's post in one week, like now I'm creepy. I'm no longer yeah. like, but I have had a lot of success with maybe I like one thing every week. Maybe I comment on something every other week. Um, one thing I've done with some of my colleagues is we'll do like kind of like team tagging. So I'll tag like my SDR for instance and be like, Hey, this was a really good read. Do check out this article when you have a chance. And it's like a nice way to not only make the writer feel good, but in the person we're trying to prospect, but then it's also like I'm leveraging my team and it's not really inv an invasive way. But if you look at a lot of these posts, I mean, unless you're really prospecting into someone that's like super active on social with a huge following, a lot of them only get like a few comments if that. So these comments right. are so meaningful to them, but not if you like spam them and get creepy. So I don't like go into the comments and post like, even if they posted something like so obvious that it would be like a product fit for us, I would never go in and be like, Hey, this is Alex Dean with Displayer and we have this product and I'm so excited to like show it to you. I would just, you know, whatever, either comment on it, something like very blanket, like, oh, this, you know, here's a really cool idea for like a different visualization that you could do or something like that. And then take that over to a private message or an email. So I think I would be cognizant of that. But I have had a lot of success with just starting to kind of softly interact with people until it creates like name recognition when I do go to call them. All right. Warming them up. A little bit. Yeah. Email. I know this is your least favorite, but uh, <laughs> how do you use email in this, in this process? Yeah. So that approach of taking things from their profile, I will use that for the subject line and emails all the time. A lot of times I'll either look for like fun phrases or I forget who's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blank on it. I can't remember whose strategy this is, if it was like Morgan Ingram or someone, but basically you take like three random things and make that the subject line of your email, like three random things that relate to them. Either, like maybe one is a past company name, one is like fly fishing, and one is like pretty university or something. And those have a super high response rate. So it takes like a little more time to like craft that and like look around for the right three things to pick. But those I've had a lot of success with. But typically I'm still using something to grab them with the subject line. And then my formula for emails is I like to email the way I want to be emailed, which is like a toddler. So I like to just have maybe like one sentence, three bullet points. That's how I like to read. It's like bullet points, yeah. three quick things. Here's what we do. If you, you know, message me if you're open to connecting or please let me know if you have a couple minutes to connect later this week, like very soft call to action. I don't really do like a hard, like, are you available at Friday at 2 p.m. Central Standard right. Time? Like it's more of just like a softer uh, call to action at the end. But that's been most successful for me with email is just keeping it really, really simple because I think people are reading this on their phone. And right. so I can read quickly three bullet points, but I can't read like four paragraphs. So it looks like a homework assignment. Right. Smartphone <laughs> test, right? Yeah. On a smartphone. Yeah. Um, so what does your cadence look like? I know you, you do this in a specific way, one after another. So can you tell me about that? And then how often you're doing these touches to a, specific, a certain prospect? Is it a couple times a week? Is it weekly? What does that look like? Yeah. So I talk about this strategy that I use a lot of times for first touches. And it's I, I don't think I coined it, but it's like the triple touch, the triple threat, whatever you want to call it. But essentially what I do is I will go onto your profile, for instance, on LinkedIn, I'll pull it up so that you can see that I'm looking at, you can, I have my settings so that you can see that I looked at your profile and then I'll call you while I'm on your profile. That way I can use it, look for any tidbits while we're on the, you know, on the off chance you answer. More likely than not, you probably won't answer. 
And so I'll leave you a voicemail referencing an email that I'm about to send. And then the voicemail is super bare bones. I'm like, hey, it's Alex Dean. I'm going to send you over a really quick email here in just a second. So keep an eye on uh, an eye out for that. And again, this is Alex Dean calling from Displayer. Like, no, I don't even really include my phone number in that. And then I'm over to email. So then my email says like voicemail just now or voicemail for me, like something to catch them or your voicemail, the word your works really well. And then in there I'm saying, you know, hey, I just left you a quick voicemail and I'm going into the pitch side. But what I think it does is, so typically I'll do those three touches all in like a two minute interval. So what I think that does really well is not only did they see my face through LinkedIn, they've heard my voice through voicemail, and then they've also now seen my writing. So it's creating this like mirage of this person that they haven't yet spoken to, but they kind of feel like there's some kind of, you know, minuscule level of rapport with me possibly. Yeah. It's like a pattern interrupt. It just, you know, usually people just do one touch, you know, this day and then one the next day, but in all in a, it's like when you condense it in that short span of time, it's not the same as if you were doing it one day after another, where it's like, what the hell's going on? Why does this person keep hitting me up? It's like, since it's yeah. all at once, it's kind of like one touch. You get, you know, three or four touches for the price of one, essentially. Um, I love that too. That's a really good way of putting it. Cause I always say this, if you, my thing with touches is when you do a call and you don't leave a voicemail, that's a zero cost touch. Like that's nothing. And nobody's going to notice that. Right. So for me, it's hard for me to think about a cadence as like, day one is do a call knowing they're not going to answer and then say like day three or four is do an email and then day six is do the call again like it's like there's two dead spaces on both sides of that email mm -hmm. whereas i could leave a voicemail and then also like hit them on social and also like like something on social so i think the main thing with me is i keep a very like a tightened up cadence so mine like i'm okay doing like three touches to a contact a week with like one being this triple touch strategy and then the others being like either um, bumping the email or I'm just doing one of those blank calls or I'm doing some kind of social media interaction. So I try to tighten it up a little bit. And the reason being, I want to get to the yes or no as fast as possible. I'm super impatient. So I like just getting to where I need to get to, but this is the strategy I've been using really since the beginning and it's worked well for me. Awesome. Do you use this? And in previous roles, have you used this even, you know, after that initial meeting while you're, you know, the, you know, you have a, a deal in your pipeline, you're talking to someone and maybe they've fallen off a little bit. Do you switch anything up or you kind of use this process as needed throughout? I think as needed, I'm the queen of like, if I'm waiting for a docu sign to come back or something, I will uh, like creep on their LinkedIn so they can like see my face, <laughs> my innocent little face, like pop up on there. And it's like, you know, it's me again. Yeah. Um, so I definitely like to do like some poking there. And then I definitely, especially if people are in the pipeline with me, I try to kind of like keep it warm on social too. So I'll definitely lead with social emailing I'll use if we have like things that I actually think are useful to them. Like if it's a webinar that I actually think is something, a topic they would be interested mm -hmm. in. I've had a lot of success with that, with deals that are like underway, but I'm very strategic about like what I actually send over to them. So I'll kind of use that periodically. And then phones, it's, I try not to do too many voicemails once we're like further down the line, just because I feel like that's a really quick, the problem with voicemails, although they're good because they hear your voice, it's a quick way to get an email response because a lot of people don't want to call you back necessarily. Right. So they'll end up emailing you and being like, Oh yeah, still no answer. Like thanks for following up. So it's kind of like a double edged sword there. Um, so obviously catching them live is my preference, but I like to use social a lot, especially like once we're in the deal cycle. Awesome. Anything specific you do to your profile or anything else on social that people could do to, you know, improve response rates or get noticed. I mean, there's a ton of stuff. I think for me, I have, you know, my LinkedIn is, if you go to it, like, you know, this, this, mine's very much like a sales branded. I'm very focused. You can tell right off the bat, I'm focused on sales, but I'm also very hyper-focused on like women and diversity in sales. Like that's mm -hmm. pretty obvious when you get in there. Sure. Um, and also education. So I feel like mine is kind of like three things in one. And then my brand within my company is kind of meshed in there too, you know, regardless which company it, it has been with. So I would say I lead mostly with my personal brand and the work that I'm doing outside of work. And then I try to use more of like the comments and like likes and some of that to like interact with people that way. More so, 
I haven't seen a lot of, and it might just be me. I haven't seen a lot of success with like me posting, for instance, like a company webinar. Like I won't get like a hundred likes on that, for instance. So I think it's, it's actually a really interesting question because I, this is something I struggle with is how do I bring in my company brand and mesh that with this brand that I've also created outside of my company. So I think that's kind of an ongoing thing I've been working on, on the outside here. Do you ever use those voice drops on LinkedIn, the voice DM? So I'm starting to, because what I noticed, so it wasn't even for sales necessarily. What I noticed was I would get into kind of like back and forth with some people where we were like talking about something specific to sales. Like we're talking prospecting or whatever. Morgan Ingram does this a lot. Actually, we'll like be going back and forth a couple of times and then he'll send me just like a really long voice shot. So that was kind of where I got that idea. So I have started to do like some of those. And so I'm excited to start playing around with those in place of voicemails, because I think that'll be like a cool avenue that I want to test out. And then video is kind of like the emerging interesting one right now. So video I've used mostly to this point when I was actually interviewing before I accepted this offer. So that was like a new strategy I did. I created videos for all the VPs of sales and uh, chief revenue officers that I was interviewing with. So I'm excited to kind of test video. I mean, we're mostly prospecting into like researchers and like people on the analytics side of the house. So it's like a little bit different than if I was prospecting like a CRO, for instance. Mm -hmm. But I'm excited to kind of test and play with that too to see what kind of success metrics come. Because I haven't seen a ton of data about either voice memos or uh, video yet. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, video is hot, but it's still fairly new, right? So, yeah. um, and especially the LinkedIn voice feature too. I don't think a lot of people will know about it. So, um, yeah. it's pretty cool. The results and metrics from using these methods. I know you've got some info around that. Love to hear it. So, I mean, results over time. I mean, definitely I've had different clients come from each of these channels. I think for me, results-wise, phone has by far been the best. I mean, most of my cold accounts I captured via phone. My largest cold client actually came from a cold call. So I reached out to him. Um, It took me like almost two weeks to even get there because I couldn't even get through the gatekeeper and there was no direct line. So I had to like weasel my way in constantly Mm -hmm. just to even get to his line. And then once I got there, I finally reached the guy and he was like, oh, you know, we actually, this is a previous company, but he was like, we hate your company. We demoed them like (laughs) a few years ago. And I was like, oh God, And so I was like, I worked so hard to get this guy. And so I was like foaming at the mouth basically. And I was like, all right, just like, let me give you a chance. Like, can you just look at a demo again? I was like practically begging the guy almost. I was like, we've changed so much. Like our whole company's changed. Like we have different team in house. I wasn't here. And so he finally like gave us a shot. I think like probably part of that was just like, honestly, like dealing with my determination. Like he happened to say yes to it, but I mean, it was a year long sales cycle, but all of that spun off from a call. So, I mean, some of my largest revenue deals have been captured via phone. And I think it was because it was easier for me than emailing and trying to figure out like a lot of times I could email. And if I would have emailed that guy, he would have just been like, no, thanks. Like we demoed your company a few years ago and we didn't like you. And then it would have been really hard to get back in there. Whereas like when we're on the phone, I can easily say, what didn't you like? Like, what do you think like was the biggest issue? And then I can start to combat that objection. So I definitely, I think like success wise, like phones for me have been amazing. I don't have like concrete numbers as far as like social media yet, outside of saying that I've had accounts that have closed because of that. But I do think it's something that I want to track more closely, especially now that I'm starting to deploy some of these new methods and knowing that there really isn't any data around like video and these voice messages. I just really haven't mm-hmm. seen any studies come out yet. So stay tuned on those, but I'll try to track some actual uh, success metrics around both of those once I start using them a little bit more. Do you know like in a ra- roundabout number, like if I reach out to you know X amount of people doing this, I usually generate this many meetings or anything like that? So right now it seems like based on how much outreach I've done, I think it's like at this point, like every 50 or 60 outreach touches between mostly, mostly phones and email right now. Um, I'm setting a meeting. So it's like around that. But then again, I also am right at the early stages. So I don't even have, I'm still cleaning a lot of data. So I think once I can kind of get a lot of stuff cleaned up and have more to call on, I think it'll be that number will start to drop down, which I've seen in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, But typically, yeah, I would say 
best case scenario for me in the past, even when I was like top salesperson doing everything, it still took me like 30 ish touches to actually catch someone to actually get them in the door for a meeting, not 30 touches on one account, but like 30 touches total. So like if I did like 60 touches in a day, I'd usually schedule two meetings. And then as far as like a specific account, like number of touches that I'm doing, I think my, my personal number is usually between like eight to 10 has been where I start to capture attention. You do get those ones that respond after like one touch and those are great, but those are few and far between. Unicorns. Yeah, the unicorns. I wish and, there were more. <laughs> yeah. And, and so with the touches, when, when you say touches, you mean like when you do that kind of combo prospecting of phone, email, LinkedIn all at once, would that be three, you count that as three touches or one touch? It depends. I, I guess for this, for our purposes, I would maybe count it as uh, one touch. And so maybe that number stretches more towards like 12 or 13 touches total, sure. just because that's like, in my mind, like one touch, but then realistically, I'm probably doing that kind of strategy a couple times in order to get them which means i'm into like the nine to 12 ratio there so i don't know but it'll be interesting you know once i start to dig deeper especially with this new company to see what these metrics look like because i'll start to have access to a dashboard and i'll start to be able to build some of my own reports to see what these numbers will look like so i'm definitely eager to see that because it does help once you know what those ratios look like because then Mm -hmm. you can Like what I do a lot of, and this gets like really into my psyche, but every year I will put together a business plan. It's like basically a formal business plan. It's like 15 pages long and it's all my goals for the year. It shows like how many accounts I want to close. And it's different from whatever the company objective is. Like that's a certain number. This is usually like 15, 20% higher than that. And then I'll actually back into the math for that number. So a lot of times I'll have like, you know, say, the company goal is to close like maybe 15 accounts for the year. My personal stretch goal is to close 20. So then I know for that 20, I have to do maybe a hundred, I don't know, 180 demos or something. And then in order to do the 180 demos, I'm going to then have to do, you know, 300 discovery calls. And then in order to get to 300 discovery calls, I'm going to have to do, you know, whatever, like 900, a thousand touches, whatever it is. So then I can back into that number a little bit. So I do a lot of that. And when I have done that in the past, I've noticed that that number starts to shrink down over time for sure. So where I started thinking I would have to do like 1500 touches in the year, it starts to trickle down to like, you know, 1200 or 13. So it starts to get better as my close ratio goes up, which I think is natural for sales too. So I definitely get like really granular with that. And I'll start to build that out for my new company in the next month or so here. Awesome. I love how you back into that and make it, you know, make your goal real by figuring out what actions do I really have to take? You know, not just like, oh, you know, this and that closes and, you know, I'm good, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, but of course, who, what salesperson hasn't done that? If I do this, yeah. that, you know, I'm going to be, that's yeah. part of it too. Yeah, um, I did it too. Yeah. Cause like for me, when I started in sales, like I came right into tech sales, like from college, essentially, like I did retail for like six months cause I thought I was going to go into buying. And then it was like straight into tech sales. So I think for me, I had this number staring me in the face, like, you know, $40,000 in revenue a month or $60,000. I think it got up to at one point in revenue when I was first in my first job. And it was so hard for me to like, look at that number and know what to do with it because it was unnatural for me. So I had to do it this way in order for it to make sense. So I think part of it is just like, it's just breaking it down and so that it's a digestible number for you versus like staring down $60,000 every day. Because to your point, it's like, how are you actually going to get there? Because $60,000, how many deals is that? Like, that's not, you know, we can all say like, hopefully that's one deal or hopefully, but more realistically, like if our target average contract value is like 15,000, then that's four deals. Like we're not talking about one deal. So we need to like back into that math a little bit too. So I think it's super helpful, but definitely something I recommend regardless if you're like early on in sales or later on. For sure. And, and with what you're doing, like with the amount of activity you're doing and like the math behind it, you're, so you're averaging at least one to two demos a day. Sounds like from the amount of discovery calls you're doing. So you're like keeping that, that like assembly line going essentially, like you're constantly following up, you're constantly reaching out to new people and then doing those demos. So I think that's a big part of it too, is it can be tough to get not necessarily stuck in ruts, but 
you know, you spend a lot of time doing outreach and then you have a bunch of demos and then you're, you know, working deals. The more you work <laughs> deals, the harder it is to find time to prospect and do it the right way. Um, so you have this kind of roadmap that you can follow. That's like, okay, I know I gotta do this, this, and this to get that instead of how am I going to get, you know, that final number. So, yeah. Yeah. It's all about like just helping yourself, like focus on whatever your target is and like making it so that you can understand what you're trying to accomplish versus just trying to like come up against this unsurmountable number. And I think for people like me that are early on in a sales role, like I can also use existing data points. So like, it's very easy for me to look at the dashboard and kind of calculate some of these ratios too. Like, Hey, these people have run X number of demos and then they have X number of revenue. So I can kind of marry the two and figure out some loose calculations. And I've done that in the past for past companies. And when I built that out, I was like within 0.05% of like what the actual company average was. So it's like pretty close. So I feel like even though I didn't have access to certain metrics, I ended up being able to average it out and figure it out myself, like almost to a T. And it's also different, like based on, obviously there's people with different skill sets and some people are going to close more deals than others. So I think it's just important to give yourself like some kind of baseline to work off of. So that's something I'll be doing in the next couple of weeks is like, continuing to like calculate some of these numbers and figuring out like, you know, what is working. And like one thing I could see right off the bat for my new company is that calls are working really well and people are seeming to get more meetings via call. So then now I know to allocate more of my time towards calls. So they're just like little data points like that, that I think are helpful to pick up and like get yourself going, especially when you're new at a company. But then also like as you're continuing your time with a company to like be cognizant of and remember because I do think like, especially if you get into a rut or you're like up against a wall with your number, like my biggest thing is like back to basics, like whatever you're doing three months ago that was working, like clean slate, like go back, restart, restart your meetings, restart your one a day goal. That's my goal is one demo set a day. So like restart with that goal, restart with your calls and just like start the process all over again. So I think that's where this stuff comes in really handy too, is if you do get into a rut, how are you going to crawl out of that? Absolutely. You can check her out on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash IN slash Alexine dash Mudawar, A-L-E-X-I-N-E dash M-U-D-A-W-A-R. Alexine, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much. Yep. Bye-bye. Alexine is an outreach machine. Her curiosity, dedication to consistency, and the honing of her skill set makes her an extremely effective sales rep. Anyone who's interested in getting better at prospecting should listen to this episode a couple of times so you can really dig into her thought process, how she manages her time, and where she directs her focus to achieve her goals. If you have a question about this episode, ideas on what could be better, or even a suggestion on what I should talk about next, please send me an email to morgan at morgandwilliams.com. That's M-O-R-G-A-N at M-O-R-G-A-N-D as in David, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S.com. Thanks for listening.